Welcome to the Rosopolis podcast. I'm Mitya Drap, and today we are talking about literature of confinement. Joining me are Erik Jonsson, a Swedish cultural writer and a literary scholar, and Matyas Pikalo, a Slovenian poet, writer, musician, and a literary workshop mentor. Erik and Matyas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Erik. So, hi. Hi, Matyas. So writing behind the walls of an institution, be it a sanatorium or a prison, is writing from a place in society that is starkly different from the outside world. It is a place dominated by street routine, clear power, hierarchies, and isolation. Uh, Much-renowned literature was written behind bars by illustrious writers from Marquis de Sade to Dostoevsky, from Nazim Hikmet to Vitomir Zupan. And Eric, how is literature written in a confined environment different from literature written outside in the free world? Uh, well, starting with the literature that I've been studying, uh, namely the sanatorium literature, time ceases to be measurable when you enter the sanatorium environment. And I think the most classic example of this is, of course, Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain, which is a novel that plays with precisely this concept. Everything that matters in this confined environment uh, is the moment and time seems to be flowing sluggishly. And the only thing that can make time relevant again in such context is your force and your creati creativity process. You're at the mercy of this. And concretely, you will also see certain features in confined environments, literature, such as sanatorium literature. It's often sort of kind of a chamber play in closed environments, uh, limited, of course, to a smaller group of characters. And even if the novels are not set in a sanatorium, but are only written there, uh, it's kind of a through the looking glass setup, if you understand, uh, where the substance of awe is the key. So I think ID novels, if you will, are very, very common in these confined environments. Mm -hmm. And it, it matches what you said earlier with Dostoevsky and Desad, uh, which are writers who focuses on like thought processes and uh, philosophy. Mm -hmm. So Matyash, uh, what do you think? What are the psychological effects of writing in such a confined and regulated environment? Well, I think uh, poetry written in a such an environment is elemental. Uh, it's like, you know, the uh, a wealth Uh, through which they can, uh, prisoners, uh, express themselves. Uh, I re uh, it really feels in their poetry or literature uh, that, uh, the, that they wanted to convey something. Uh, there's, a sun, uh, there's a sense of um, distress, pain, and of course a desire for freedom in their literature. And um, I can I can say that my experience is similar uh, because uh, I began writing a poetry only during my recovery through uh, from uh, tuberculosis. Mm. So uh, uh, that's why I say that an environment away from society is fundamental for poetry. That's interesting because Eric is precisely kind of. Uh, He's researching uh, the entanglement of tuberculosis and literature. So this is a, a interesting coincidence. So, Eric, how is uh, Swedish literary history 
particularly closely related to the tuberculosis? Oh, wow, that's a big question. Uh, literature, literary history itself uh, of tuberculosis extends far back in time, not only in Sweden. Uh, uh, it dates back to antiquity, it, it, but it's during the 18th and the 19th and 20th century that the disease becomes like a central part of literature, especially in the Romantic period in the 19th century, uh, which is uh, very, very marked by this, this disease. Uh, and one reason why we seem to twingle these things together it may be that tuberculosis affected many of the greatest artists, poets and writers of the century. Uh, so the disease itself has colored their art and literature. Uh, however, a significant part also depends on like the mythology that developed around tuberculosis during the 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, initially, there was little information on how tuberculosis spread its causes and symptoms uh, beyond those related to the lungs. So uh, people tended instead to speculate about who would be affected and why. And since the ones you heard about were the writers talking about it, it was described, for instance, by Susan Sontag, an American essayist and philosopher, it has been described as the soulful disease, something like overcoming, uh, overflowing, becoming physical. Uh, and the percep this perception was further strengthened by the mystery as, uh, associated with tuberculosis and death. Okay, uh, but uh, I have focused on the impact of tuberculosis on literature in Northern Sweden. Uh, where the geopolitical and social cultural conditions differed from the South. Uh, Northern Sweden has been in the shadow of media or even consciousness for a long time. Uh, therefore, it's a relatively unexplored field. Uh, but uh, what I want to come to is that it's perhaps not the disease itself, but more the sanatoriums that have played a significant role in the literature of Northern Sweden. Because this institution brought together uh, young men and women from very vast areas, placed them in a new environment, and confronted them with new existential challenges. So they were torn from their poor, solitary farms, and they ended up in a new, very strange context. And what also needs to be known is that sanatoriums in these vast landscapes with forests and mountains were often the most prominent buildings like solitary institutions in a state-owned wilderness. For example, one sanatorium housed the largest library in northern Sweden in the 1940s. And northern Sweden represents half of Sweden in terms of area. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they, they also had this other distinctive feature, and that was that they were willing to experiment around psychological factors in the early 90s with the sick or with the mentally ill, since there were no cure for tuberculosis at the time, the only option was to try to mentally heal the afflicted. Uh, mm. So many doctors were particularly interested in this. And they reasoned sort of like that people needed mental preparation for life, whether they would live the rest of it as sick or healthy. So one doctor, for instance, Helge Dahlstedt was his name, went all in to develop their inner lives. And this was done by putting brushes and pens or instruments in their hands. So, and, and by time, these sanatoriums contained assembly halls for concerts and guest musicians of high stature soft their way there, uh, both health and sick, as well as artists. And some of the 
foremost Nordic artists adorned the sanctorium with their paintings. And over time, writers would uh, actively sort out the sanatoriums in the north. Uh, because there they could write and work undisturbed. Uh, but it also seemed to like shape authors from scratch. And one such author was Sara Lindman, who is arguably, uh, I don't expect you to have heard of her, but she's arguably the foremost author of Northern Sweden. And she came to one of these sanatoriums in her youth and has since described it as a gateway to Europe, uh, a cosmopolitan place almost, and a university for the children of the forests. So many of these author biographies from the North can be intertwined with the history of tuberculosis, even today. Uh, Avin Jonsson, Nobel Prize winner, uh, wrote a lot about the tuberculosis situation in the North and the despair and the poverty and what these sanatoriums meant. Uh, Torgny Lindgren, who is, was a member of the Swedish Academy, has written several novels about this history. And a fam very famous Finnish poet, Edith Södergran, uh, ended up at the sanatorium as well and brought many poetries, uh, poems about it. Uh, just to name three of the most foremost authors in the Nordic region. So there's absolutely something connecting tuberculosis to, to the north of uh, Scandinavia. It's really interesting. So do you think that there's like other uh, geographical regions which are similarly desolate, like the north of Sweden from urban centers that have a similar literary history? Well, when I uh, was the editor of a magazine called Province, I don't think that word needs to be translated. It means exactly what it sounds like. There's a magazine for literature from the north of Sweden. Uh, we were somewhat afraid that we would be become even more as isolated, only talking about literature for the north. So we tried to smash open windows. And one way of doing that was investigate literature from the rest of the world uh, uh, and see if there were similarities. And, uh, and to, to identify these starting points, what to look for, we needed to identify the own, our own literature. And uh, one thing that was significant for Northern literature was the poetry, uh, po poetry and uh, the, the, the illnesses that was described and the industrialization, the urbanization, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we started looking for, at first to uh, s literature from the American South. And I, mm -hmm. right now I can only remember Flannery O'Connor, uh, who was one of the writers that we introduced. And people told us that you won't be able to translate this to Swedish correctly because she uses a lot of biblical phrases and she uses a lot of um, dialectical words that are specific from the South. Uh, but we gave this to a translator who is normally an editor of these northern Swedish writers. And it was absolutely no problem. I mean, the phrases were the same. The references to the Bible was the same. Uh, the setup was all the same. Uh, so it was almost like we found these underground paths connecting literature from all over the world. Uh, and of course, it's always also this sense of uh, post-colonial critique, uh, sort of like the empire writes back from the periphery to the center, which is very, very similar in these areas all over the world. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, to answer your question, yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. So very interesting literature happens on the edge of society, both geographically and so societally, kind of. Uh, 
So, Matyash, uh, in 2019, uh, you mentored literary workshops for inmates inside of Slovenia's largest prison, Dob. Uh, what about mentoring uh, these literary workshops surprised you the most? Uh, uh, at first, uh, I was I was very afraid, uh, and uh, every time I finished uh, workshops and left the prison, I heaved a, a sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> then I relaxed and. Um, uh, with my guests, interesting guests, uh, well-known cultural features, uh, figures, uh, writers, actors, musicians. Um, I came through because they helped me to, to, to do these workshops. Um, in my group, there was, um, uh, there were um, three individuals uh, with literary talent. Uh, all of whom appear in the film uh, Dolina Souls, Valley of Tears, uh, that we shot uh, uh, in prison after my uh, workshop. Uh, one guilty of uh, financial fraud, um, uh, he, 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 he was uh, writing releases for, uh, release petitions for uh, the others. He has a, uh, he had a special skill for that. One uh, a pedof a pedophile um, wrote a thousand pages in his defense. Uh, it was uh, his PhD. And one, a murderer, uh, was uh, genuinely talented. Uh, he was really talented and wrote the short story Davidov, um, uh, which me and um, director Bostian Korber uh, bought for... Uh, screenplay for 50 euros and uh, there was there was also um uh an interesting participant a participant who had only six months left until release but uh, he said that he couldn't leave prison because he still had so much to accomplish inside so there were there were <laughs> many um many tragical and uh, funny moments too. That's amazing. So one of these, uh, you said that you encountered, encountered a lot of artistic souls at the Dob prison, and one of them, Felix Plochlo, even later published a novel about serving the prison sentence. Maybe he's even one of those that you mentioned. Uh, yeah, uh, he wasn't in my group. He was... Uh -huh. um, uh, he was uh, in a previous uh, workshop uh, conducted by uh, Slovenian writer Leonard Zajc. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so uh, we also shot uh, a documentary about him with um, director Bustian Korbar. The movie is not released yet. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, of course, uh, Felix Plachl is one of the most... Um, um, parad paradigmatic author uh, from these uh, workshops because uh, uh, so he was convicted of murder <clears throat> and uh, in a prison during the uh, workshop uh, with uh, conductor Leonard Zeitz 
he wrote uh, his first book, uh, his first book, Usimo uh, Egrehi, All My Sins. Uh, and um, the very last year, I guess, he has already re released a new one, a second one, Shevech Greho, even more since. Um, both books um, have become uh, successful, and uh, he now um, lives and works in Denmark. So uh, we could say that um, um, he also... Um, makes a progress like a free person too that's amazing <clears throat> do you think that um that it's prison that can bring out the artistic side of people would for example i mean we're postulating here but maybe some of them would not even realize they had the literary talent had they not been imprisoned uh yeah uh, we could say so, because we know that, uh, for example, Jean Genet, uh, French author, wrote uh, wrote his book in prison. Um, the book is called The Thief Journal, uh, based on his crime experience or past. Uh, you mentioned Slovenian writer Vitomil Zupan. He also wrote poems and stories in prison, mm -hmm. where he ended up as a partisan. And perhaps... Uh, 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 we have to mention uh, uh, we have to mention the author of Don Quixote uh, too. He he Cervantes. wrote Cervantes wrote um, Don Quixote in a in a jail, and uh, perhaps um, uh, they would never have written uh, such amazing works if uh, they, they hadn't been uh, imprisoned. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the project of these uh, literary workshops, you also published a collection of poetry, of inmate poetry, um, Voices from Deaf Silences. Um, and I'm just wondering, does it include any obvious common themes and tones, this poetry? Uh, pardon, if they? If they, con if they include any obvious, like, common themes or, uh -huh. um, uh... or, or tones, kind of uh -huh, vibes, uh -huh. yeah. I'm not sure, but um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure, but I suppose that uh, a team is for sure a freedom uh, mm -hmm. because that's uh, 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 what they are um, uh, what they are uh, what's their um, wishes uh, yes. a freedom but uh, um, but I'm not sure <laughs> uh, uh, what what we have to say is that um, it was not uh, it was not only um, a review of uh, prisoners. Uh, there, there were there were also participations uh, were also um, you know the other institutions like uh, 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 women prison, uh, like uh, uh, like. Uh, like an institution for uh, mental disease mm -hmm. or uh, institution in uh, near Postojna for uh, uh, youth criminals or delinquents, etc. That's uh, uh, all collected in this uh, review you mentioned. Ah, okay. So it's not only the it's no, not no. only the top prison. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I I didn't know that. So. 
Eric, confined people have a lot of time to be pensive. Do you think there is a connection between a bored and a creative mind? And furthermore, did after the invention of the cure for tuberculosis, maybe more of a more of a ingest in question, did the creative output of Swedish literature kind of fall off in some way? Um. No, I don't think so. But it was uh, in northern Sweden. It was more like the start of a new form of literature, uh, <laughs> because northern Sweden is like a, has historically uh, during the 1800th century been been a playground for engineers or for uh, men who decides to climb up a fell and write home about it. Southerners coming there, uh, authors uh, writing storybooks about the indigenous Sami people uh, or uh, painters painting a mountain uh, and then go home and tell their wife and child about it. Uh, so so this are, is more from a, I'm sorry to introduce, this is more in the romantic tradition, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how the North has been viewed upon mm. from the South. Uh, but there has, of course, always been people living there. Uh, I mentioned the Sami people, but there has always also been pioneers from Finland and Norway and from south of Sweden who's made this place their home. Uh, so in the early 1900s, uh, the first seeds were planted for a history of our own. And we didn't have, as I mentioned earlier, we didn't have these schools or universities. All we had was this poetry and the diseases uh, uh, and these, uh, this forest industry and mine industry, which made people even more ill uh, so mm -hmm. I think there was a first for knowledge, it was a first for language, uh, and some of that were, were given to us through the Bible, through the christening of the North. But um, in like the charcoal huts and the workers' barracks, people were starting to tell stories. Uh, and this was, was, of course, also coming from like a confined environment, away from the urban stories or the urban cities. Uh, but what, what happened when the sanatoriums came, uh, was that they became schools. They mm -hmm. became meeting points away from work, away from your home, away from your farm. Uh, and it, they uh, they gave you the required treatment for tuberculosis, but it also provided the patients with the opportunity to contemplate life questions that were otherwise too abstract and distant from everyday life. Mm -hmm. uh, so some patients became captivated by the opportunities the sanatorium offered. While others, through the state plan for the return to the vibrant and real world. Uh, however, there seems to be have been some kind of consensus that you were internally changed by the tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and some writers are writing about how it infiltrates your dreams and alters your worldview. Uh, and with this, I guess the perception of art and culture also changes. So, uh, I have this. Fantastic example that I found, uh, a young engineer, he was called Alfred Berggren, he, he had been studying in Stockholm to become an engineer and he was really, really talented, but he was struck with tuberculosis from a young age, I think 25 or something. Uh, so he came to this, uh, one of these sanatoriums and he basically received a death sentence. You're gonna live for four or five years. And this doctor I told you about earlier said, uh, he knew it. I'm not going to save this boy's life. Uh, 
but he has these talents for science. He has this uh, knowledge about technique and language and everything. So I'm going to give him a typewriter uh, that he can use in his bed. And I'm going to give him the opportunity to select which books we're going to buy into this huge library. So he ordered books in Latin, in Germany, and he scholared himself. And he also wrote. Uh, and one might think that he started writing like essays on uh, technical experiments or so, but he started writing fiction. Uh, he, and by the in his last year, he had written a manuscript for a novel called, um, roughly uh, translated, "The Robots." And you know, the word "robot." Uh, was first uttered by Karel Kapek, a Czech writer in 1942. This was the same year as this novel came out. So he had picked up on the word ro robot and had written sort of a science fiction novel, the, one of the first in Sweden ever. And this is only because he was technically skilled. He didn't know how to write fiction, sort of like the, uh, I guess the writers Ma Matthias mentions. Uh, you get something other out of these persons. Like he wrote a novel in the only way possible for him, and that happens to be a, a science fiction novel. The, the term wasn't coined yet, but he wrote a novel, How Will the World Look in 1975? This was published in 1942. And he wrote about airplanes. He wrote about trips to Africa. And he said that if you are to go to Africa in 1975, it will, of course, be very, very hot. Uh, so you need your cars need to have this system that uh, uh, no your bungalows needs to have this system that pumps in fresh air, cold air like air condition. Uh, it wasn't invented then, but he wrote about it. And your cars need to have this navigation system like a screen where you can see where you're going. GPS wasn't invented yet, but he 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 wrote about all these things in the forties. Uh, so it's a really 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 fascinating novel. Uh, that's says something about the literature from, from these sort of environments. Uh, if you don't have the scholarship, if you don't go to the universities in the South, you only have your experience, you only know that you have a short period of time and you want to be creative because there's nothing else to do. You can only use your mind. Yes. Uh, stories like this are going to be made up and created in Britain. Uh, so th this was also my example when I, my first example when I started studying this, that uh, this sort of environment has sort of a humanitarian effect on people's minds. Uh, you can't be too like technical or you can't be too uh, strict. You need to like open your mind to um, uh, the humanities. Yeah, yeah. Because this writer that you mentioned, the author of Robots, uh, this uh, young engineer, uh, he never written any fiction before, right? This was the first time that he yeah. kind of started writing fiction. That's that's a that's a really crazy story. So, and you second, were, yeah, go on. Sorry, uh, one thing that's really really crazy about him is that back back then the sanatoriums had they, they printed magazines, uh, like cultural magazines. And they, they were shipped around other sanatoriums. And he started one of these magazines, and it was called Vi och Ni, Tidskrift för friska och sjuka in Swedish, which translates to Us and Them, magazine for sick and healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea with this magazine was that 
there are things, in fact, that the healthy people can learn from the sick. Uh, this was the whole topic for the magazine, every issue. And they had writers, really, some of Sweden's greatest writers at the time, writing in this magazine. And uh, it, for two decades, they were publishing this magazine with cultural essays. And he was the first editor of it. He started it. He, he published this novel, but he never got to see anything of this in print because it died before the novel was printed and it died before the first issue of the magazine. But the magazine uh, went on to be published for 14 years. And in every issue, there was this one novel or poem by Elfred Bergman, who started it. So in his five years at the sanatorium, he was so creative that it, they had material for 14 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So the sanatoriums were like, kind of like public spaces. So if I understand correctly, the Swedish government, well, did the Swedish government invest in like the libraries and stuff like that? Or was this all the work of, well, patients themselves or like, did they, did they out of sheer boredom or like of, uh, plenty of time because they had so much time at hand, did they actually start getting so creative or was it, was this like a concerted effort by the government to invest in arts in sanatoriums? There were various sorts of sanatoriums in Sweden. There were the mm -hmm. poor man's sanatoriums, which were places you came to to just die. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody mm -hmm. knew that. Yeah. Uh, they weren't good. And uh, and the king of Sweden at the time uh, decided to give a gift to the Swedish people. He collected money uh, to build five uh, special sanatoriums, sanatoriums spread out in Sweden, uh, royal sanatoriums. But you didn't, didn't have to be like, uh, rich or part of the bourgeoisie to go there. They, they, it only meant that these were uh, special investment uh, because he wanted to get rid of tuberculosis <laughs> once and for all. Uh, mm -hmm. And these sanatoriums had a bigger budget, but still not a budget to buy uh, paintings from artists or to invest in libraries or book binderies, which they also had. Uh, this was something that each doctor had to figure out themselves. And at this sanatorium that I keep referring to, where Alfred Bergen was, Österåsen uh, in the middle of Sweden, this doctor had this idea, which was cra considered crazy at the time, very, very eccentric, that the more art, uh, the more art on the walls, the more concerts, the more carnivals, uh, the healthier my patients will be. It will help them through life. Nowadays, this is not controversial. This is... If you go to a hospital in Sweden and the whole north, and I guess in the Balkans as well, you would see art everywhere. Oh, it's yeah. part of the uh, municipality's budgets. But back then it was considered crazy. So this was, uh, wasn't something he could do with his own budget. Uh, but since there were no bigger hospitals on the countryside in Sweden or in the north, the sanatoriums also served as um, doctor's offices. So whenever he had a patient that he helped in some sort of way, not not like tuberculosis issues. He had its coin box on the top of his office and said, like, just leave a couple of coins there. And mm -hmm. those, those coins he used to invest in uh, art, to invite musicians or mm -hmm. to buy books. That's uh, very interesting. So there's a there's a healing power of art that this doctor already knew about. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was quite controversial at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't think he was especially sure about it at the time. It, it was just 
a desperate attempt to do something because we didn't have the vaccine. We didn't mm -hmm. know how to treat these people. Uh, so and to, to put meaning into the patient's life and his own practice as a doctor, he had probably had to do something. And it helped that he was very, very interested in art himself. He wrote a thesis. And when I found that in an old archive, I figured, oh, this is going to be a boring read. It's going to be about tuberculosis and, and medical stuff. Uh, no, the, the whole thesis was about Sami culture, art, and literature. <laughs> that's, that's great. Matthias, you wanted to uh, comment something? Uh, it's interesting, um, Tim. I didn't expect the, that, but uh, I was thinking about um, our institution, uh, our famous tuberculosis uh, or for tuberculosis institution. It's called Golnik. Uh, it's in um, uh, Gorenska region, uh, northwest um, Slovenia. And at my time, that was 35 years ago, so I recovered from tuberculosis, it was mentioned like a um, social institution, and I was uh, threatened like a social problem, because, uh, mm. uh, and there were uh, um, many of us, I don't know, 12, 12 in a room, you know, Okay. Uh, you have no privacy, but there was a possible a possibility to have uh, your own room, but you have to know, you know, a doctor or something. So um, it was quite heavy at that time. Nowadays, I don't know, but I know that um, um, uh, people are still um, recovering from tuberculosis there. And uh, some of them also died there, like uh, Slovenian uh, cant author uh, Tomasz Pengo yes. two years ago. Uh, and I was, of course, um, uh, think about uh, Zauberberg from Thomas Mann. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> my I, I don't know the Slovenian title. I referred to it earlier as Magic Mountain. I think that's the English Magic title. Magic Mountain. Zauberberg is uh, original yeah, yeah. title. And you have all introdu introductions uh, there how to uh, how to <laughs> uh, heal uh, tuberculosis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it, it's, uh, of course, uh, a special, uh, rich uh, sanatorium in Swiss Alps, this uh, Zauberberg, uh, with prominent guests uh, as Russians, etc. And um, the uh, the other person I think about uh, is um, uh, Thomas uh, Benhardt, also one of my favorites. Uh, authors, uh, he also recovered from tuberculosis, I think, uh, and wrote uh, many books, um, not about tuberculosis, but there is a uh, theme, tuberculosis in his uh, books. I think also Camille recovered from tuberculosis, many, many of them. Mm. And uh, uh, when you were talking about this um, Swedish uh, fiction writer, uh, no, um, this engineer, the young engineer who wrote robots. Uh, yeah, yeah, the robots. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking um, about Karl May. He he wasn't uh, in uh, America at all, but he wrote Vinetu. He 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 didn't see prairie or cowboys or something yeah, in yeah. life, but he's uh, author of one of the best um, uh, book about Indians uh, at that time, Vinetu. So it's really interesting. 
this this uh, things. That's really <laughs> it's great. Going on, uh, mm -hmm. on, but on the other side, it's uh, it's uh, for me, it's as I said, uh, elemental, normal. Um, if you think about it, uh, because it's you, as uh, Eric said, you cannot do anything else when you are in a prison or in a hospital, sanatorium, uh, somewhere. Uh, but um, think uh, about uh, you, ask who you are, what brings you in this situation, how to express your, uh, I don't know, pain, desires, uh, etc. And that's uh, how this, uh, and uh, there's a, a imagination when it started to work then when you are, uh, you know, in a special situation. Yeah, yeah. And it's mm -hmm. also connected to, I think, uh, so at some point, it's connected to also fever and illness. I mean, um, oh, yeah. those, those things flow, flow together. <laughs> mm -hmm. When you have tuberculosis, uh, not that I've experienced it, but uh -huh. uh, uh, from what I read, it's... Um, Fever is present uh, for that's the beginning of tuberculosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and flow in and out of it. If you don't seamlessly. get, if you don't get uh, uh, antibiotics soon, you can die. And yeah. I forgot to mention um, our um, our uh, poets, writers. Yes. More years ago, uh, they were also dying uh, from tuberculosis, and there are some of them. They are classic. You, you mean from Cukrarna, like uh, from the Slovenska Cukrana. Moderna? The, yeah. yeah, we were talking about that via email with uh, Eric. Aha, no. Yeah, so, yeah, this is this is also yeah. a great this, example. This is also our tradition in... Uh, yes, <laughs> for sure. Cukrarna. So this is super interesting where we took this conversation. I didn't think of it that way. I didn't know, Matej, that you had tuberculosis yourself. Uh -huh. But probably the fever states that you mentioned are somehow also, well, they can be like, I don't know, I didn't have tuberculosis, but like if you have a strong fever, it can induce certain states of psyche that are maybe like even slightly hallucinogenic or something like that. You can absolutely. My opinion is that uh, the poets are um, uh, uh, persons with uh, fever. Because they're if they are not ill, they are uh, in a fever all the time, you know. Uh, nice with this passion to, mm -hmm. to express themselves. You have to be. You have to have a fever if you want to to, to write. Of course, it's better if you are not ill, but uh, you have to have fire inside you to express something. That's awesome. So, Matias, in 2020, you co-wrote and performed in a documentary that we mentioned before, Dolina Sos Valley of Tears, which was filled in Dope, in Slovenia's largest prison. Can you share with us what are some of your memorable experiences for that time and how, how did filming this documentary differ from your other roles? Uh, well, it's a documentary. My desire was... Uh when i started to 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 conduct uh, workshops to to have a concert there uh, in a prison with my group uh, auto da fe uh, like uh, johnny cash had many years ago in united states and um, that's um, 
really became possible. And there was also one, um, I think, uh, happened after 30 years. Uh, I met uh, my friend uh, uh, that I uh, haven't met before 30 years, Bustian uh, Korbar. He arrived from uh, United States, asked me what I'm doing. I told him about uh, uh, my my role in a prison and uh, he he said that he wanted to 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 shut a, a movie there, so um, uh, we did it. He uh, he visited the prison with me for a couple of times, and at the end uh, uh, we did it. Um, uh, it was stressful. We have uh, we sh- we shot this movie in uh, in a day, I guess, hmm. or. Um, most two of them uh, in a very very short time only in a couple of hours we had uh, we we do uh, we didn't have a plenty of time at all so it was stressful mm, uh, the others um, uh, they were not uh, mm, they were not used uh, to be in the prison or have a experience of course not with the prison were um, also uh, shocked uh, uh mm-hmm. especially women because uh, when you are, when <laughs> we arrived back um uh, to to have a drink um they were sitting um, with uh, Felix Plochel and when he told them our women uh, his story uh, they were shocked because they heard that they are murder and uh, what uh, what uh, he's done uh, and it was also uh, interesting that, uh, or shock, or shocking for us that uh, um, the, the 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 it was a eating room um, for I don't know, couple of hundred prisoners was a pretty empty, um, not full as uh, years before. There was uh, at the end at the present uh, uh, presentation of this magazine you mentioned. Um, uh, it was happening every year. There, there wasn't um, the hall wasn't full. Uh, why? Because they uh, boycott uh, the 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 pedophile, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the pedophile that was uh, uh, in our program mm-hmm. uh, with his literature. So many things happened, but we manage it and we tape it uh, and. Um, so then we uh, and uh, the the movie was presented on the uh, documentary festival in Ljubljana, uh, and it's made by a concert and uh, the testimony of these three prisoners. Combined. I even, I even heard that. I'm sorry. I go on. No, no, that's it. I want. I some somewhere I caught that uh, one of the prisoners even helped you to write the lyrics to some of the songs or something like that? Um, uh, not me. Uh-huh. Uh, he's also, that's this pedophile. pedophile. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he's also a musician. He's very clever. Um, I told you that they, uh, that he wrote a thousand pages of, uh, in his um, uh, defense. Uh, and he is also a musician. Uh, he didn't stop talking at all. He uh, he he talked all the time. He was talking all the time, uh, and 
Slovenian singer um, from Katalina band uh, Vesna Zornik uh, sang, uh, uh, our guest, uh, sang um, uh, one song with him uh, that he wrote. Uh, and he had actually her. He he played uh, uh, organs and um, Vesna sang. Uh, and she called me the next day in the very morning uh, because uh, she only knows, noticed at that time uh, 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 with whom she sang. She was completely shocked too. Mm -hmm. Although she was my guest uh, uh, in a workshop a um, few months uh, before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So okay, now a question for you both. We're drawing to a close. Um, I'm wondering uh, if... Well, we all want to forget the three years of the COVID lockdowns, but did you, you are both artists, did, did we uh, experience during the COVID lockdowns any of this fever or psychological turmoil? And did any of you experience some adverse psychological effects? And how did it affect your creativity during these three years, Eric? I'll be, sh I'll or, be yeah, sure. Just, yeah. And then I have to go. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I will leave no. sooner. Yeah. Uh, I wrote uh, three books of poetry at that time. <laughs> that's, Thank that's you, great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's the proof of my thesis that uh, 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 things like COVID, prison, hospital. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Eric, pleased to meet you. Now um, you too. You too. Okay. Okay. Thank so you. Please answer. Bye. Yes. Bye. As a festival organizer, it was horrendous, of course, and our festival was just about to kick off. Uh, but with a four hour notice, we were informed that by the Swedish government that you are no longer allowed to assemble more than 300 persons. And our festival has like 10,000 guests. Uh, so we had just to turn around on a coin like, OK, this is not working. Tear everything down. We were carrying stuff to the venue. Uh, and people were flying in. So uh, we had to spend the following eight hours talking in phone, telling people like, don't come, don't come. The festival is canceled, including writers, authors, collaborators, everyone. Uh, and this had an enormous economic effect on the festival, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we managed to get through that. Uh, and for the next year, uh, COVID was still around and we were thinking like, no, there's not going to be a festival. No way. Uh, we have to figure something out. And we wanted to be creative. We wanted to do something because our fingers were itching uh, after this cancelled festival. We had a whole program with like 70 talks uh, that we wanted to do. Uh, but when we looked at how everybody was doing things, it was almost always this like play, click play, watch this, uh, like us now people uh, talking through screens um, and when everyone was doing that uh, the interest starts to cool off i mean there was a book we had this giant book fair in gothenburg and they were just like vomiting a program in your facebook feed like do, 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 do. click here click here click here click here yeah listen yeah. to this listen to this we wanted to do something completely different so we started talking to people in media uh, we started to look at okay everything like the Eurovision Song Contest, what are they doing? Uh, they have this audience here, but they're not dependent on the audience. It still works for your TV. We started looking at the Olympic Games. Okay, what are they doing? How, how come people are watching this? 
So that was our creative process, figuring out how to do a festival during the pandemic. And, and we learned mm. a lot. I mean, we learned that you, you need to capture people's interest. You need to have them focused. Uh, and one thing we did for starters was that everybody is watching the same thing live. Uh, no click play here, click play there. Everybody's watching the same thing. And we had these talk show hosts who were commenting on everything happening on stage. Not while people offer sort of talking, of course, but like, okay, back from the stage into the studio. What, what, did, we miss, what did we hear? Uh, they were commenting on that. And then back to the floor, back to the writers. Uh, we had these live chats. And we, uh, even if there was a pandemic, we forced every writer to fly to the north, to Umeå, to be at the venue. Uh, huge dates that accommodates 1,000 audience, but no audience there at the time. So it was completely surrealistic. But we wanted to get rid of the extra screens. One screen is enough. Mm. Uh, so kind of to reduce the to reduce the the saturation of all the information at once to kind of this ADHD inducing uh, uh, pop up culture, you know, that uh, <laughs> gets you distracted. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And from from TV, we learned that okay, you need to have somebody like counting the writers on stage. Four, three, two, you're on. Uh, be like exact to the second. Uh, and then cut to the studio, then cut back to the stage, cut, 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 no like time gaps at all. Uh, so this was our creative process. But uh, for me, uh, I sort of, when you wrote me about this episode uh, and we started to discuss uh, the hardships of illness and for instance, literary creations, um, I started to think about that. Why does this fascinate me so much? Like mm -hmm. sickness and creativity. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess this is a question that everybody must ask themselves. Is this important at all? But for me, that element is crucial in determining whether literature captured my interest or not. And the same goes for music or arts. Uh, if there are not strong fluctuations between light and darkness, if, if there are no clear flaws and stains of sorrow, then I'm completely indifferent to it. It's yeah. not that I uh, don't believe in the concept of beautiful or perfect, it's just that it doesn't provide me with anything to complement my view of life and the world. So I need th those flaws uh, and I need the, these like fluctuations uh, that you find in uh, the literature from sanatoriums or prisons. Uh, it gives something new specific interesting that's great i have nothing this is a great end i have nothing to add so thank you again for participating and this was Vesopolis podcast episode 13 with eric johnson and matthias piccolo have a great day youtube